Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Trendsetters podcast episode. If, you, if you've been following us along our CMO journey thus far, you, you've likely heard from incredible uh, marketing executives that ha- have, have more often than not been on the brand side of things, not, not in so much the agency side. Uh, although you do get to hear kind of my experience and dialogue uh, with trendsetters and some of the brands we work with. Uh, but today we're going to have a conversation with Eric Hu, VP of Strategy at Havas Group. Eric, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on today. Jake, I am such a big fan of yours. Uh, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while, uh, and I got to say, I really admire uh, your spunk. It's great. <laughs> Thanks so much. That's a very nice way of saying uh, my my aggression through copy and and video on social media. But but yeah, it, it truly is a pleasure. And I know we got connected and had that initial conversation. And what we really looked to do was, was talk about the the health and wellness space in particular. And and not so much like, you know, your, your crazy consumer brands on the front lines all the time, but, but maybe the less seen ones. And you obviously have incredible experience working in that arena. Now, we do happen to be living through one of the most interesting times for those that are interested in the health community and for those brands in that arena for, for pretty much all of us. Right. And, and while I've tried to avoid COVID in the past, I think we should just start this conversation with the fact that COVID, you know, we, we already had health conscious consumers in the past. Now with COVID, that, that's only been accelerated more and, and layering into other things. Now it's not just about nutrition. Now it's about sleep a little bit more. Now it's about like cleanliness and sanitizers and soap and all those different things. So I guess from your perspective, seeing into all these markets, into all these different companies and brands, what, what change have you seen with, with, the, with the arrival of COVID uh, in, in terms of some of these markets? I love to just hear... Uh, some stories, examples, or just your thoughts on that as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great place to start. You know, I spent about six, seven years working in consumer markets, right? So working on brands that everyone's familiar with, the Adidas Mm -hmm. of the world, Capital One, Mercedes-Benz, et cetera. But I think one thing that drew me to healthcare is, you know, two years ago, I realized that, you know, you may not, consumers may not remember the ads we make, but they'll never forget the ways that brands have helped, right? And, and there's this old adage that in advertising, we work on products that are, um, you know, products you we sell products you don't need for prices that you may not be able to afford to impress people that you may not even like, right? And, yeah. and that was a big wake up call for me because I was like, ah, what's the value of doing this every day, right? And I love advertising marketing. Don't get me wrong, branding is one of the things that you know I just always knew I would get into. And being on the agency side, like you said, not being on the client side, I get to work on six to twelve brands at once, and that, yeah. that really gets me going in the morning, right? Um, but note, noting, you know, COVID nineteen, the pandemic, and quarantine, what I've realized is, you know, this is a moment where a lot of people will get excited to work on healthcare, specifically biotech, biopharma, um, you know, hospital networks. Um, and all that kind of stuff. So, so one thing I've noticed uh, specifically to answer your question, you know, there's an explosion in DTC brands in healthcare, right? So yeah. Hims, Hers, Roman, Thinks, the list goes on. Even in New York City, for those of us who are in major urban areas too, One Medical has taken the primary care space by storm, right? Um, one thing that I really want to get across is, you know, right now for People in our age bracket, right, millennials, Gen Z, there are so many ways to start looking at healthcare um, in the opposite ways that I think yesterday's ad man would look at it and say, well, it's no longer the space where creativity goes to die. It's actually now the the single most potent way to make it a healthy, uh, excuse my pun, healthy and, and positive impact uh, on the end consumer. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and and you know, it's one of those things where you look at some of those consumer brands like like CPG, like beverage, uh, like apparel, and, and the creativity is always you know off the charts, and and it, and it looks like it'll you know continue to to stay that way. Music or entertainment, right? But but healthcare tends to be on that opposite spectrum. What do we expect? We expect long lines. We expect wait lists. We expect you know we got to go through thirty touch points just to get the information we need. We expect all those different things, but new companies are innovating and, and also incumbents as well are, are integrating new technologies uh, to innovate with that. So, so from your perspective, for the average listener right now that doesn't know anything about the healthcare realm outside of their own personal healthcare, and maybe they're under 26 like me, and they don't even know who their healthcare is outside of the insurance card I maybe have in my back pocket, right? So, so kind of with that, with, with that in mind, what, what stands out to you as one of the most pivotal or changing arenas, uh, whether that is, you know, biotech or, or how we, we're delivering pharmaceuticals or now with, with even like virtual consultations with physicians? I'd love to hear from you, like, what is some of the biggest changes happening? Absolutely. And, and I'll preface by saying, you know, in the pharma specific space, um, and I can't speak to insurance too well, but at least in the pharmaceutical space, we always say we're about 20 years behind, right? Yeah. Everybody's gone through their digital transformation. And it's not an excuse to say, oh, well, our industry's mired in uh, regulatory restrictions, right? Because if you look at personal finance, every single consumer bank now has some kind of mobile banking app. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a seamless approach to getting you access to the money you own or are investing, um, especially looking at, you know, whether it's Chase Banking Online or Robinhood as an app or even blockchain technology. You know, it's time for pharmaceuticals to look at that kind of digital transformation, that organizational brand transformation, say, how do we hop on board as well? And to answer your question as well, I mean, I think it's 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 ubiquitous, it's ubiquitous right? And, and what I mean by that is healthcare is affecting literally every single vertical out there. And I, I know one of the guests that you had, I'm a huge fan of as well, Matt Kerbel from Canoe, right? And, and yeah. those guys are innovating the way that you get access to cars. I'm a huge car nerd, right? And, and one of the reasons why is I think a lot about health as not just the receipt, the, the receipt of treatments or drugs that you need to, to solve for a kind of a disease state, but also health as a holistic measure of how much you're experiencing wellness. So to your point, whether it's getting enough sleep, getting enough fitness, um, living in a food desert, but still finding ways to get the nutrition you need, a lot of it happens at the urban planning level. A lot of it happens at the governance level, right? So when we think about cars, right, the manufacturing, uh, moving away from manufacturing and towards cars as a service, that's just one area we, where we can think about architecting customer experience, where health is at the center of that transformation, right? So if we think about the future of work, what does it mean to change the office space so that no more than 50% of your staff are cycling throughout the building in a given day? We're also thinking, to your point, you know, when we talk about hand sanitizers or consumer products to increase um, your, your experience with health and wellness on a daily level, I'm also thinking about, well, I mean, how come Clorox and Lysol and all these consumer packaged brands have shot up in brand trust, loyalty, uh, and just being iconically loved during this time, right? Is there space for hospital networks to increase their brand perception? Is there a way that biopharmaceuticals can erase some of their murky past 
um, and, and get some kind of path towards improvement. And specifically, I'm citing in 2019, you know, John Oliver on last week tonight and, and uh, Hassan Minaj from the Patriot Act, you know, they came out with really bleak videos about how pharma is, um, for lack of a better term, screwing over consumers left and right. Right. There's mm-hmm. got to be a way for us to build better, more equitable and more powerful systems and getting our treatments, life saving treatments into the hands of the patients that need it most. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And, and what's taking place in kind of the pharmaceutical arena is is wildly interesting. And, and it's also been interesting to see the, the, the rise in Eastern medicine now taking place within a Western medicine world and, and, and moving away from from, you know, big pharma and, and pharmaceuticals and prescription drugs of which you know, we should always take into consideration alternatives and we should, there should always be more competitors in the space and we should always look for, for new methodologies, but it also becomes a dangerous game where it becomes black and white, where, Hey, if all pharmaceuticals are bad and if all pharma companies are bad, how am I going to trust any of those life saving drugs that, that sometimes do exist when I can't trust the, you know, the, the, the off brand, you know, over the counter cold medicine that they, they give me, if I can't even trust that, how am I going to, you know, so, so it's a really, really interesting thing. And I think it makes the job of marketing and advertising all the more difficult, which, you know, keeping that in mind, when I think about my health at a personal level, at a human to human level, and our awareness and acknowledgement of that, a, a question I've always had is, you know, we know everything, uh, and I'll take me, for example, I know everything about my apartment, the square footage, all the specs, all the details, I know the temperature, I know if it smells bad or not. I can just kind of tell that. Uh, <laughs> finances. I know everything about the personal finances. I know everything about our company's finances, revenue, expenses, payroll, taxes. You name it, I know it, and I can I can I can access it right here. Food and drinks that I eat. You know, there's there's some you know speculation around like what what are the the, the secret kind of chemicals they're put and what is all these extra you know ingredients. But ultimately, I can read the back back of the label right here. And see exactly what's in it. And I can do that for the food I'm eating. And I can track it in my fitness pal. Yet, I know very limited knowledge about myself. I know, I, I know all these incredible things. But none of those things I can enjoy in life if I myself am not healthy. So I guess my, my question to you as you know, healthcare and uh, some of these firms in this space, it, as it becomes more accessible, how does that revolutionize how we at a one-to-one personal level approach our health? And how does that potentially put us in a situation where we can, you know, get into predictive kind of healthcare, and, and, and we can look at things proactively rather than, hey, my leg's broken, I go to the hospital. Hey, I, I, you know, I finally got diabetes, I got to go get it checked out. How, what, what's happening in the wearables or accessibility space that that could actually change our entire consumer perception of how we perceive healthcare? Absolutely. And, and I think you brought up some really great points. And I'll start with wearables because I'm a, I'm a tech geek, right? And at the end of the day, I think tech has probably a potential to solve for pretty much everything that ails humanity, right? Yep. In some way, shape, or form. Um, so walking backwards from wearables, one of the last projects I worked on at Adidas is, um, you know, this, this sneaker that for football players here in America will call it soccer, right? <laughs> so if you're on the pitch, right, can can your gaming experience actually transfer in between FIFA and on the pitch, on the field, right? Is there a way we can connect those two touch 
points. Now, that's a very consumer-friendly kind of tactic, right? It's, it's fun. It, it respects gamers of all levels, whether you're an athlete or you're an eSport athlete, right? But from a pharma level, from a healthcare perspective, what this really means is can we start thinking about consumer goods as a way to gain entry and access into the micro health parameters of the daily life, right? So to your point, you know, I know what I'm consuming. You know, if I eat, you know, meal, I think you had the CMO from Freshly, right? I, yeah. I personally eat Freshly. I know exactly what goes in every single one of my meals and mm -hmm. because I chose them, right? Yeah. And they're pre-packaged for me. It's perfect. It's, it's so sustainable. But when I think about, you know, what, what is my body doing in response to that food? What is my body doing in response to the amount of sunlight I get every day, especially if I don't get to go outside as much as I used to? You know, what are those micronutrients I need? What are those kind of, you know, those subtle things of the everyday that's going to help prolong my longevity? Um, to answer your question, I think the first step is really recognizing what are the solutions out there right now that have unintended utility for healthcare providers. And what I mean by that is, going back to the Adidas example, if we have a sneaker that can track your performance on and off the game, is that a touch point where we can start to track for other things? Johnson & Johnson and Apple have a partnership where they're tracking cardiovascular health through the Apple Watch, right? Mm -hmm. That's just one example. Bon Bhutan is starting to track type 2 diabetic patients for comorbidities and key performance indicators um, specific to their health. For me as a strategist, you know, one thing that I think is really interesting for us right now, especially on the agency side, is we have so much access to data and we have so much access to what's working and what's not. And it gives us a lot of opportunity to think about health no longer as just what conditions are we solving for, which is a very Western-centric view of health, but a more Eastern-centric view, which is what are the different dimensions of holistic wellness, like your religious affiliations, your spirituality, the community you have around you, your geography, even down to how much UV is in your uh, is in your area, right? And based on those dimensions, we could probably tell uh, tell you as a patient what you need as a supplement to the treatments that you're receiving for your comorbidities, for your chronic diseases, as well as supplements to your daily intake of whether it's diet, nutrition, fitness, whatever. Um, it's exciting, man. <laughs> I think that's a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah, and and I love that that approach and philosophy. I you know I love all the technology taking place. And then I think you preface it with that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think technology, the, the, the limitless potential there, it's, it's always going to be something greater that we can't even comprehend. And so that's what I love, you know, and, and it's always going to be you know, Moore's Law. It's going to be accelerating over time. And so it's always wild to see that. Now, what I find most interesting, though, about the approach is, uh, you know, and I, I can speak to my own experience. When I was in high school, 16, 17 years old, and this is good for everyone listening, when, when, you, when you need to think about your know, marketing strategy for, for your brand, for your SMB, for the, you know, for the firm you're with, when I was in high school working out with the, you know, with the, the basketball team there and, you know, the, the, the coach, 50 years old, been doing the same routine since they do them since the 20s, the 50s, the 80s, you name it, same exact routine. Scientifically, it made no sense. I, I had watched enough YouTube and, and bodybuilder bros to know that that this programming, how we're doing these things, do not translate to the basketball court at all, nor do they make any sense. Why am I rushing through heavy five-by-five five squats being timed on them? That doesn't even make sense. This isn't a hit workout. I'm pushing, you know, 315 pounds over here, man. Like, why? And why even in the first place am I doing that when I have a game the next day? So I always despise that. And I even went as far as as developing, like, my own programming, my own regimen, and and 
being very rooted in science because that makes sense. And, and so much of our generation can appeal towards that. And it's certainly easy to do that from an exercise or nutrition perspective. But when it comes to advertising and marketing in the, in, in the healthcare arena, it's, you know, it's one of the most complex industries, if not the most complex. You, you are dealing with brands that the consumer sentiment, you're not only having to educate on this technology, you're also having to market it, but you can't market it too, too much or too effective or else you're going to get negative feedback of that because, you know, you're the big company trying to scam them or whatever. So, so what is your strategic approach, philosophy, ideation when it comes to approaching the, the strategy perspective, which... I'll preface it with this as well. I think strategy is the most underrated skill set for for younger demos in that kind of 20 year old range. Like we get it. You're going to be good with social media because you're in your 20s. I think, you know, one of, one of my philosophies that I always kick off with is, you know, I, I think the role of a good marketer is to help, especially a strategist, right, is to help their brand become indispensable uh, or irreplaceable to their customer, whether that's a healthcare professional um, or, or a patient, right? And I think the single easiest way to do that right now is employ something we call invisible design, which is offering to help providing products and services that truly provide value to the customer in moments of need and stepping out of the way, right? And I think a key different uh, differential here is, you know, a brand like Coca-Cola or Nike, um, you know, they're always going to try to stay top of mind. Their goal is to become iconic because if they don't, a competitor will. But I sort of think right now in the healthcare space, we should be drawing inspiration from brands like Walmart or Amazon even, right? And and let's put aside some of the ethical qualms people have been having with those brands lately. I think what they do really, really well is, and it's reflected during COVID-19 beautifully, right? Walmart is so great at creating a full commercial ecosystem that fulfills every need of the customer, the end user, right? Across middle America, one of the most underserved geogra geo geographic areas in America, right? Everywhere you go, every 50 miles, you're pretty much, uh, you know, you can be comfortable in knowing that there's going to be a Walmart there as a community center. People go there for food, right? There's QSR. Um, there's often optometry. There's going to be a pharmacy in there. Um, they have every home good you could possibly need, consumer packaged goods, snacks, what have you, right? literally everything at a lower price. Through the pandemic, what we've realized is that the loyal customers that have typically relied on Walmart for their uh, goods and services, they're actually migrating to Walmart, uh, sorry, Amazon. And why is that? It's because Walmart didn't actually derive any brand loyalty out of their heart palpitating ads or their branding or messaging or shared voice. It's really because of down to the service they provide. And for us, what we take away from that is how can we create a really good service? Another way of thinking of this is, you know, pharmaceuticals are expensive. If you are living with type 2 diabetes, you're going to be paying a lot for your medication. Mm -hmm. And whether that's right or not, one thing that we have to think about as marketers is customers care about two things at the end of the day for healthcare is how much am I paying mm -hmm. and what am I getting for it? In marketing, we don't really get to dictate how much you're paying for it. So the best thing we can do to provide for our customer is to figure out how can we provide you with the maximum benefit for what you're paying for. Um, and, and through unlocking the key to that uh, question is going to help you decide, you know, what is going to make my brand, my client indispensable to their end user. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and that almost, you know, then leans into the realm of, of ethical, you know, marketing, advertising and, and what's okay, what's not okay yet. 
at the end of the day, my job in, in marketing and advertising is not to to design those new products. I can certainly influence product innovation, but it's my job to connect them with with ultimately the, the customers and and the consumers that we serve and connect them with that. So I always, I always think that's important because at the end of the day, you can look at any brand almost on this planet that's a decent sized company and find something wrong in their past and some, you know, Reddit subreddit thing that has a conspiracy about them. And, and you know, whether those are, are, you know, in the pharma space happening in front of everyone for the world to see or whether they're a little bit more key, you know, kind of covered up like like what Pepsi did in the Philippines and the I think 80s or 90s. I don't know if you, you know that story, but incredible, uh, you know, incredible past with brands. But you know, a question I have for you on the health side of things, and this is steers a little bit away from from marketing or from advertising, uh, but I think it's you know vital for our younger listeners here. There are some sixty year olds that, that I come into contact with that they look like they're you know they look like they're they're sixty years old and they're ready to go to retire and play golf and maybe go into a nursing home within the next you know 10, 20 years. There are other sixty year olds I meet that are full of energy more even than me sometimes they're bouncing off the walls they're you know running marathons and, and crazy things of that nature and so there's a very deliberate split between the two and certainly there's somewhat of a split at younger demos but but, but not quite for those that are listening right now that you know the median uh, you know the median death age for us could be 100 years old or whatever it ends up becoming so for those listening right now that they're starting their careers, they're maybe 22, maybe they're 24, maybe they're 32, maybe they're 35. They're so young in their career, but they think they have to make it by their by the time they're 45, they're 50, they're 65, they're 75. Something I've done personally is change up my philosophy of that, of if, if I can build up my health and nutrition systems and, and ultimately my livelihood, and then that gives me a longer window. If I can live to be 150, well, now I can all of a sudden work for, you know, 100 years from 20 to 120. And so that's my big pie in the sky dream vision I see. What is the advice you have for those individuals of which, you know, you could probably highlight, you know, some of those technologies coming up that, that are going to make this a reality in terms of like seeing the bigger picture here, prioritizing their health and seeing it beyond business. One of the things that I think our hustle culture and entrepreneurship and business and marketing has created is like, no, you have to hustle your face off. Go, 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 go. But if you know you're going to live 100 years, you know, maybe you chill because maybe your efficiency when you're 50 to 80 matters to you a little bit more. So what what are your thoughts on that? I know that was quite quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that as a whole in terms of just longevity and, and careers and sustainability and, and really giving confidence to young people that you do not need to be a millionaire by the time you're 40? You know, you got you got plenty of time. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great thing to ponder, right? And it's something that comes up often for, for just myself here, right? I think one of the quotes that really changed my outlook on this and, and pulling away from the political or sociological implications of um, this author, Ayn Rand, and this philosopher, you know, one of the quotes I pulled out from her book, um, The Fountainhead, is I, I don't intend to have, I don't intend to build for my clients. I intend to have clients in order to build. Right. And that really changed my mind about everything I knew about advertising, uh, marketing and career in general. Right. Because I, I used to be in that hustle porn world where I watched Gary Vee and I woke up every yeah. day saying, well, if I'm not bleeding out of my eyes, I'm not working hard enough. Right? <laughs> and, and, and I also think that comes from my you know, immigrant background and, and 
at least my parents being immigrants and being a first-gen immigrant myself is, you know, you've got to work hard and live the American dream and maybe you'll find success. But I think somewhere along the way, what's been really helpful is, you know, first and foremost, I always tell everyone now that I've worked in healthcare, realize that the key to success is just eat your veggies, right? Like that, that's number one, eat your vegetables. But number two is it's great to experiment, right? You should try everything at least once and keep doing what you like and keep doing what's going to be sustainable. The fact of the matter is I do think we're going to outlive every prior generation. Yeah. It, they say that this is going to be the first generation where that's not the case, but it's still early, right? We could turn the tide on that. And science proves that there are more healthy options available to us now at scale than ever before. Yeah. I think it's important for people to do their own research, right? I think there's a lot going around, um, you know, non-GMO or gluten-free or vegan, whatever. And I support it all, right? If you find a diet that works for you, you should continue to do it. But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of shady marketing. And I was reading an article the other day on, you know, how Oatly has gone to market. And one of the things that Oatly's done is they've they've taken all the facts about the product that they offer and shrouded in misdirection and straw man arguments, right? So one of the things about Oatly that people might not know is it's incredibly high in sugar. And so for people living with diabetes, it's not necessarily an alternative um, to things like milk, right? For yeah. people who are lactose intolerant, great. But for the general population, when they say this is made for humans, I don't really know what that means. So yeah. one thing, again, go back to the research, figure out what is something that's worth trying now? Do you want to be an early adopter? In which case, if the answer is yes, great. But if not, do your due diligence and figure out what are the combinations of trends and established truths that can work for me as an individual. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and that's something that's needed everywhere, but especially when it comes to uh, consumer health brands and our purchases in those arenas, because there's so much misinformation out there. I iconically one of my one of my favorite ad campaigns ever was when Tito's started putting gluten free on their bottles. And for those that don't know, uh, vodka is made from potatoes and potatoes do, in fact, not have gluten. And so what was obviously a marketing ploy by some genius at the company that figured out a way to do essentially for free some of their best marketing ever really highlights one of our greatest weaknesses as consumers which is we see that the highlighted part, we see the trait, oh, it's vegan, oh, it's this, oh, it's whatever, and we're sold. What we're not thinking about is all the other things when in reality, health to me is a lot less of like having good things, uh, good things here and there or having the right traits or the superfoods. And it's a lot more about being very conservative and you know, not uh, like o overall just consuming less, less ingredients, less additives, less preservatives. It's not one or the other, you know, blueberries, kiwis or, or kale. They're not going to save your life. They're also not going to probably kill you either. So, you know, you're probably OK from time to time. But that's uh, that's personally one of my favorites. And it's such a wildly interesting space from a marketing perspective. But also consumers need to be wary of wary of that arena. hundred percent. I, I don't know if you've uh, seen Mad Men or any of uh, hopefully people in the audience listening in have seen Mad Men. But there was that scene where. Uh, Don Draper said, you know, every everybody else's tobacco is, is poisonous. Ours, Lucky Strike, is toasted, right? Every, every tobacco is toasted, right? But to be yeah. the first market to own that messaging, oh, man, how powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And, that, uh, you know, one of the better series. Thank God we've, we've changed some things in the advertising world uh, to some of the negatives there. So it's cool to see that. Eric, it was truly a pleasure having you on today. Are there any final words, closing remarks, or call to action for audience? 
Oh, I mean, one thing I have to say is, you know, I, I think from the just going through the pandemic and working in healthcare, I've been so excited and so inspired. Um, and, and talking to people like you, it always reminds me why I wake up and do what I do. But one thing that I always say is it doesn't matter if I feel inspired. I want other people to feel inspired to join me in my rank. So here's what I'll do. I'll promise everyone the same thing I always say. I have a 100% coffee, jack, ca- coffee chat guarantee. If you find me on LinkedIn or Instagram, hit me up and we can set some time up. And hopefully I can convince you to join us uh, over on the healthcare side of things. Yeah. That's a badass offer. Everyone take them up on that. I'm not kidding. You uh, you don't get a chance to do things of that. Put your phone down, get off TikTok, and, and, and go chat with Eric on LinkedIn. Anyway, Eric, it was a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much for everyone listening in. Go get your health right, uh, and I'll see you all next week.